has become uh, a, a chapter for me that, that helps me to understand because of the way that it illustrates uh, Jesus' struggle and his, his, his dealing with, with the will of God in his life. It has helped me to understand uh, more deeply the struggle to do the, God, the, the will of God in my own life as well as, as ways to do it when it feels like I'm in the press which is what the word Gethsemane means. It, it, the word Gethsemane is a Hebrew word for, for press. And it is a, or the Greek word for, for press. And it refers to an olive press. And when Jesus goes to the garden, and, and in fact, you know, maybe we should clear that up. The word garden never appears anywhere in any of the Gospels. It's, it's a, a grove of olive trees. And it's now a garden. When you go to Israel today, you can go into a garden of Gethsemane. But as Jesus goes into Gethsemane to the olive grove and he prays three times on his knees before the Father, he is in, spiritually speaking, a vice when it comes to doing the will of God. And there is a, a passage, before we get into it, there's a passage out of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 that I want to read at the outset to help us begin to get our minds going in the right direction. Hebrew writer says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Now, who is the one referred to as the high priest in this passage? Well, the answer, as you know and I know, is Jesus. And what is it that is said about Jesus as our high priest? The answer again is that Jesus knows every single degree of emotion associated with every single temptation that is known to man. Now you and I, I think, it can be said with some certainty that we pray to be spared certain bits and pieces of knowledge and information. I know that, that, that when my children were growing up, uh, and, and for some reason it wasn't so much with my daughters, with my son, he would come in and say, hey, guess what happened at school today? And his mom would say, or I would say, do we really want to know? He said, yes, it was so-and-so. And I would say, nope, stop right there. I don't want to know anymore. Some things we just don't want to know. They're too scary. They're too painful. They're too frightening. At times, very uncomfortable, too uncomfortable. It's better not to know. But what about that verse that we just read about the high priest Jesus? Would you be able to bear the full experience of being tempted in every way in life? Boy, frankly, my hands are full with dealing with my own lot. But this is what the Bible says about Jesus, that He knows, that He knows what it is like fully. Sometimes we think that Jesus had a smoother trip than most of us because of His full knowledge of the will of God, that knowing with certainty God's will made things a little bit easier. He didn't have to struggle with that end of it. Perhaps that's true in some instances when the ordeal is trying to discern the will of God in maybe a life and death situation or, or something like it. But sometimes the will of God is known with certainty and the path it leads down is horrific. And it's not trying to understand what the will of God or discern what the will of God is, but doing the will of God that becomes the, the trial. And that's what's happening as the scene unfolds in Gethsemane. 
Like any human being under terrific stress, what we begin to see in Jesus in these latter chapters of the Gospels, we see increased emotional energy on His part toward the end. The progress to Calvary is not going to be easy even for Jesus. I mean, when you think about the, the Last Supper and all of the events leading up to this, this, this moment in Gethsemane, there, there's a building tension as Jerusalem and that Last Supper and with His friends and the cross draws, draws closer and nearer. In Luke chapter 12, I have a baptism to undergo. How distressed I am until it is completed. In Luke chapter 13, we give the Pharisees such a hard time. But the Pharisees, notice what the Pharisees come to, to Jesus to tell Him. They say, uh, leave this place and go somewhere else. Why? Because Herod's trying to kill you. In Luke chapter 14, the very next verse, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be My disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow Me cannot be My disciple. And Jesus has tears. Jesus has tears as He crosses the crest of the Mount of Olives and looks down upon Jerusalem as He's about to go across the Kidron Valley and into that Golden Gate and into the Temple Mount on, on that Palm Sunday. He rampages through a section of the Temple to clear it. He has reclined at the table with His disciples and taught them the new meaning of the bread and the wine. He is telling them, this is My body. Take and eat. This cup is My blood. Take and drink. The body and the blood given for the forgiveness of sins that our iniquity might be dealt with. And to enjoy the establishment of a new covenant between God and man. He has talked about the loneliness He will go through as they are all scattered. And He's going to face His passion alone. He has even talked openly about the fact that one of them, that one of those that in John 15 He has called His friends, no longer I call you slaves, but from here on out, friends. He has talked openly about the fact that one of them will betray Him into the hands of His enemies. Imagine the depth of betrayal you would feel walking in and finding your spouse with your best friend. Or imagine the depth of betrayal you would feel discovering that your friend and trusted employee has embezzled funds from your accounts to the point that it bankrupts your business. And Jesus is saying, one of you is about to betray me. And then this wrenching scene in Gethsemane. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and His disciples followed Him. On reaching the place, He said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if You are willing, take this cup from Me. Yet not My will, but Yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to Him and strengthened Him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly in his sweat like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? Get up 
and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Jesus had led them into the Mount of Olives. And I wonder what the disciples were thinking as they they made that walk with their minds full of Jesus' words about betrayal and servanthood and washing feet and Satan sifting all of the disciples like wheat. Of Peter's moment of denial and the rough times that are ahead. What did they expect to happen during the rest of the night? And what was Jesus thinking? Was He wondering if there were any other solutions to the human dilemma of sin? Were there, was there another way for that to be solved? Was there another remedy? How steady would, would your steps be? And how steady my steps? How steady would your heart beat knowing that the crucifixion that nails were going to be driven from one side of your body to the other. It lied just, just ahead. Jesus is going to feel the full force of Satan's storm and He will go to His knees and an angel in that grove will minister to Him. And Satan will not only attack Him, but drive from Him those that are closest to Him. And here they, they arrive at the place. And Jesus hasn't planned any kind of a group activity. He hasn't planned some, some kind of a, of a, of a men's to, 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 together group activity. This is a time to pray. They are there to pray. And Jesus, knowing what the night holds, gives them instructions to pray that they will not fall into temptation. Satan has already begun to sift them. Judas has already struck his deal for 30 pieces of silver. They begin to do so, but they are exhausted and begin to fall asleep. And as tense as the night has been for them, all of the instruction, the rough times, they are not nearly as intense as He is. The danger that Jesus has warned them about in verse 31 of being sifted is about to break upon them with enormous force and it will not relent. It has already engulfed Judas and will come near to capsizing Peter. The years of contemplating this scene in the olive grove of Gethsemane has made one of our, our, our hymns, which is, I think, one of our favorites, but it has become deeply, deeply meaningful, but sometimes emotionally difficult. It's the hymn on page 334, Tis Midnight and Olive's Brow, and we're going to sing verses 1, 2, and 4.
Master's grief and tears. Tis midnight, and from me the plain is born the song that angels know. Jesus is in prayer. And as He prays, He is crying His heart out. Something has happened to Jesus that we have not expected. He goes a stone's throw, goes to His knees, and He goes to God in prayer. And He is in the storm, struggling not to be swept away. Satan is assaulting Jesus with all of his strength What could have filled his mind that caused him to pray the way he did and with his sweat turning pink with droplets of blood? We can only speculate, but was it his fear of suffering, of of rejection or, or of shame, a fear that his work would be destroyed, his faith in God and God's deliverance being uh, uh, wavering at this point was, was the responsibility for carrying all of our iniquity and all of our sins, that burden was it On his shoulders, overwhelming. All of these are possible because we have experienced them all. But here are some of the things that I think that we pull out of this experience of Jesus in the garden as we look 2,000 years removed. Number one, as Jesus struggles to flee the ordeal, this cup pass, he does not flee from God. One of the incredible things that Jesus teaches us about what it means to be a disciple is that Jesus does not know how to suffer without it being a suffering in the context of His relationship to God. There is is not one hint, not one hint, mind you, that Jesus would try to resolve this issue, this temptation, this moment, without any kind of reference to God and to God's will and to God's presence and to God's power and to God's will in His life. But not only does, as He struggles with this ordeal that you know, He's not going to flee from God, number two, His ultimate prayer is for God's will to be done. Whatever temptations He deals with, whatever suffering He endures, Jesus yields to the will of God being done in His life, come what may. Some years ago, I had, I, 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 it's a good friend of mine, and some years ago he married his, uh, buried his mother. And, and one of the things, and, and talking about his mother at the funeral, a, a great woman of faith that we all knew and all appreciated, was that each morning she would pray among many things in every prayer that she ever prayed in those mornings, she would always use this simple phrase, may I never say no to you, Jesus. May I never say no to Jesus. And when Jesus has won the mental battle, He could go on. And isn't that where 
most of our battles must be won? Deciding that we will do the will of God. And then another lesson is that God does not abandon His faithful people in the midst, in the middle of the struggle. That God does not abandon His faithful people in the middle of the struggle. This event certainly reinforces the fact that God cares and that, that, that He identifies with us. That's what that passage in Hebrews chapter 4 was trying to communicate. That there's nothing that we, we go through. There's nothing we experience, taste. There's nothing that, that goes through us. That, that God Himself in Jesus did not experience. Our crises are not unknown to Him. Especially the ones with tears. And especially the ones with the most intense emotions. But the key thought is this. God will strengthen you before He rescues you. God will strengthen you before He rescues you. Jesus receives angelic strength. Angel appears and Luke says, strengthened him. Why? Jesus receives angelic strength to keep struggling and to keep suffering. He's not going to be saved from the cross. He's not going to be rescued from that event, that ordeal. The angel comes and gives him strength in order to keep struggling and to keep suffering, but to do it faithfully. The mission of God was not resolved in the Garden of Gethsemane, but on the cross of Golgotha. God's presence was, was with Jesus in the olive grove in the midst of the conflict. And then the last thing, and, and we're through. The bloody sweat illustrates obedience. It's, it says a lot about the degree to which Jesus' body would be subdued to the will of God, even in the most horrific, nightmarish scenarios that, that our imagination can conjure. Now, Jesus has come at this point. He has come to a critical point. It's a go or a no-go situation. And Jesus does not want to go on. He says in verse 42, If you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. He does not want to go, but He wants to do the will of God even more. I think we really have to just rethink this whole... Uh, comfort zone theology that has somehow uh, evolved in our thinking as disciples. That that's not in my comfort zone. It, he does not want to go. The cross is not in His comfort zone. But He wants to do the will of God even more. In this life, friends, we come to critical changes in our life Crossroads, forks in the road, turning points, watershed moments, transactional events. We come to critical moments in our lives and we have to decide whether as disciples of Jesus, is it a go or a no-go situation? 
And that may come with a marriage or a divorce or a great tragedy or a great sacrifice or a great loss that changes our life's course. It might be leaving home and going off in the military or going off to college or going off to a job, but there is a removal of the restraints. And you can do whatever it is that you want to do. You're free. You can do whatever you want. Your religious life is no longer ordered by someone else, but it's a matter of free choice. My parents, my elders, my preacher, my deacons, my friends are not going to see me. I do what I want. Religious life is no longer ordered by someone else, but it's a matter of free choice. You can associate with whatever group you want. What will you choose? Now your life will be decided by what is inside of you. Not by someone who is outside of you. Shane West uh, has, has kind of popularized over the last year uh, a statement that is, uh, what's down in the well always comes up in the bucket. That's true. In the moment of crisis, in the moment of pain and in suffering and of, of nightmare, do you follow God and God's will or not? Is it a go or a no-go moment? And that bloody sweat shows the intensity of his desire to do God's will. The bloody sweat shows the intensity of his desire to do God's will. The bloody sweat reflects the dedication he has called of his followers. If you do not pick up your cross daily and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. The bloody sweat shows that doing God's will is a must for the Christ. And a must for His disciples. How seriously this story tells us to take our relationship to God. This is how far God is willing to go for our salvation. Who can read this story and remain calm and passive about the Christian faith we've been called to live? Is it a go or a no-go? Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. And our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. And the question that is put to me and to you and to all of us tonight is just how seriously do we take our relationship with God? Just how seriously are we dedicated to doing the will of God? And have we drawn close enough to God to really sense that He knows Everything that I, that you, that all of us have gone through and able in being able to sympathize with us strengthens us in the ordeal to continue the struggle and to continue the suffering until the moment that we are rescued. These shepherds down here at the front are ready to receive anyone who needs help or prayers or instruction about how to get into relationship with God. And during the singing of the song, we want you to come down and talk to them. And for the rest of us, as Ben is leading us, let's praise God for the greatness of His mercy, His sacrifice, and love. Let's stand and sing.